Hey everyone, this is Jacob without Pam at this exact moment, uh, because this is a little teaser for a bonus episode. So this is a small section of a bonus episode that just went live. If you're hearing this, it is live over there on our Patreon page, uh, leaving this so you can kind of know the kind of stuff we do over there. We do a little bit more specific episodes for our bonus episodes on the Patreon page. It usually comes directly from our listeners who support us over there. They ask us questions. We jump in and do deep dives on all the things and their bonus episodes uh, usually only over there, we're only releasing kind of this intro little conversation to this bonus one, because uh, once you guys to have a little taste of it, and if you are interested in jumping into this and a bunch of others, as well as bonus trainings, bonus videos, and so much more and exclusive access to Pam and I, then jump over there to the Patreon page. But if you just enjoy this, this is still a great piece of the conversation. You can come back next week for another fantastic episode as usual. Once again, this is only a small section. If you want the rest of this episode, support us over there on the Patreon page as a listener or listener plus tier, get a bunch of other bonuses. The link to that will be in the description of this episode. Thank you so much. Pam Ochoa. We're here for a bonus episode today for our wonderful Patreon supporters. Specifically, uh, we're going to be going after Amy's question today. Amy sent us a question, but if you're hearing this, that means you do support us. So thank you very much for your hard-earned money coming our way, supporting the podcast, making sure that we can keep doing what we do, keeping the lights on, keeping the podcast going. Hopefully we answer some questions. This is probably going to be um, a little bit back and forth between me and Ochoa. We've had a lot of conversations off air about this, and we're going to treat this like just a good conversation, just so you don't feel alone. Amy, I think you um, or I won't think I, I hopefully just Ocho and I kind of going back and forth on this and uh, just having a good old conversation helps you think through this. But for everyone who hasn't seen her comment, Amy wrote to us and she said, I have been doing a lot of PD over the summer because, well, similar to Jacob, I don't like to have much downtime. A lot of discussion has been happening around the science of reading and what it looks like for the upper elementary. She teaches fifth grade. I don't think I have a specific question about this. Just maybe what are your general thoughts on structuring a reading workshop that fits in word study, morphology lessons, direct vocabulary, etc.? This may be too big of a question, but just wondering your general thoughts. Would you change anything you've done in the past or be more intentional with these direct lessons? Thank you. I just love listening each week to what you both have to share, even your side bunny trail conversations. <laughs> well, Amy, we do appreciate that because sometimes Ochoa and I end an episode and we're like, what on earth just happened? We just took so many other turns, but we're here regardless. The science of reading, this is something that, I mean, truthfully, we really got to dive into in so many different ways. So we're going to try not to go super, super into the weeds of this, but Here's the thing, Ochoa, and I want to pitch this to you first, as I often do. But the reason is, is because you've what's the adage in teaching, right? If it's going to come around and then it'll go away and then you just wait it out and it'll disappear. And then about five years later, it'll be back in a different form. And I here's the thing. When I was younger, I, I remember this. Okay, I remember being taken into a small classroom and being worked on with phonics in like a little small group table with some of my, like they were like teacher's aides. And I also remember something called hooked on phonics when I was younger. I never had it, but one of my friends had it. And because I was obsessed with reading, this is a true story. I was obsessed with books, but I couldn't read well at the time. I loved hooked on phonics and I would go to his class, his, not his class, his, his house and his mom would give us like the hooked on phonics, like cards or whatever they were. 
and we would literally kind of go through them. So phonics instruction clearly was a thing when I was younger and uh, younger elementary uh, time period. So maybe like third through fifth grade where I was. So that's what 1995 to 2000, roughly give or take. So what's the deal? Why phonics seems to be the big differentiator with this science of reading stuff. That's like the, the big word that comes up the most, but just seeing and hearing the, the twist and the turns and the legislation and the state overhauls. And now the United States overhauls and the, what you need to be a trained teacher these days is, do you see this stuff as similar to what it's been? It's just tied to legislation and certification. Now, is it different? What is this, this phenomenon of the science of reading to you as someone that has seen many things come and go? Well, when I got into teaching, it was all whole language. And then they went back to phonics and then they went to a thing that they call a balanced literacy. I then found just some Pinnell. So now you do guided reading and all of that. And then now they're coming back saying uh, the science of reading, which seems to go all the way back, but without any of the whole language. So uh, I don't know. I've seen a lot of it. I um, I think they're they're arguing for the fact that we need the science of reading because if we if everybody's teaching the exact same way, then we know that all the kids are receiving the exact same instruction. And so that's the philosophy behind it, because they're saying too many different teachers have different abilities and different levels. So they all need to be trained exactly the same. And uh, but I got news. They're all still going to apply it differently, don't you think? Unless they're completely scripted. Yeah, but that's also the the thing that I've gotten because I've had people on my show, right? Teach mm -hmm. me teacher who are people that are like, hey, science of reading really is nothing new. It's just a different term. Here's how it fits into what mm -hmm. we're talking about. Um, I've also had people on the show who are vehemently against it for a variety of reasons. Um, I think it's an interesting conversation. I feel like and I know this. And I will not mention names, but I know for a fact there are professionals in the field who feel like if they speak up against anything about the science of literacy, their careers are over. A hundred percent. I have talked to those professionals off the record to where they're like, oh, yeah, I can't. We can't say anything like that. There's just no way it'll ever fly. And there, it's almost like a weird cancel culture around uh, the reading well, wars. Yeah. And, and the, you know, several articles that I looked at, that's exactly what they called it, reading wars. And the, the biggest reading war that I'm seeing, if they're considering it a reading war, is this idea of balanced literacy versus the science of reading. And I, uh, anyway, I just I just found it fascinating just to kind of look into it. I, You know, we didn't want to really I didn't want to answer the question or even talk about it until I did some reading on some articles and stuff. And so I, I agree when when I took when I took reading the college, my college classes years ago, when I say years ago, um, well, we all know that I taught for 36 years. So over that, but <laughs> not quite 40 not quite 40, but right in there in the middle of that. Um, you know, we, I learned about the three queuing devices and, you know, one is the, you know, that you need for reading. And of course you need the, the meanings of words. You need to be able to recognize, uh, the sounds of words and, uh, 
I can't remember the third one. I think it was code, decode. Anyway, they do all these sin, sin uh, and the way the words are put together. Okay, so it's semantic, syntax, and and um, graphic. And so when you look at those those three elements, I've always based all of my instruction on those three things. In other words, kids need to know what the words mean, right? They've got to know, they got to have what the words mean. And you know, and you've mentioned this over and over. So I always, I don't teach a systematic, if you will, what somebody would consider systematic vocabulary, but we explore words and I have the kids explore words and and they have choice in what words they really want to explore. There's a few that we make sure that we have to do usually because of the curriculum, because I mean, I've always followed, you know, the words that our curriculum have told us to do, et cetera. So that way I stayed um, grade level. But then being able to see the words, I'm very uh, modeling. I, th- I think we have to model. I think we have to do read alouds, Laura Rob, you know, in her read aloud instruction. Uh, I think the kids have to see us read and they have to see the words as we read, especially our, our new students. So I'm all I'm all for that. And that's a part of the science of reading. But that's that's, you know, seeing that I think also being able to know how how things are put together. How how do you formulate a sentence? I mean, how do you for, formulate, take that sentence and turn a group of those into a paragraph? And how does that paragraph, you know, the structure part of it? Uh, I think that's very important. So what's interesting to me and and is that all of these are the same. They're looking at the five pillars for reading, right? For the science, the, and I put air quotes up, science of reading. And it's uh, phonemic, phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocabulary, and comprehension. Well, those are the three devices that they've all shown works. And uh, there's a huge study that we do when I teach um, reading for Avidos, and we had to read the Frank Smith book. And there's a whole entire... Uh, he does a whole entire chapter on the brain and how it works and how um, it's called reading behind the eyes. And so we actually read with our brains, right? And it's the way our brains put things together. That's why there's such a thing as dyslexia and all of that. Sometimes our brains are wired just a little bit differently and we have to teach the, we have to be able to recognize that as teachers and then be able to intervene in those cases. So you do have to consider that uh, the way the brain works and how the brain reads and what we actually see with. I mean, when we see words, we're actually seeing with the backs of our brains, you know, because that occipital lobe is in the back of our head. And uh, and so, you know, those kinds of things. So, so I've read all of those studies, but this idea of legislating, if you will, the science of reading. And here's why, where I think the danger is, I'll be honest, and we're going to talk about that. And then later on, I think the question is, how do we teach it, right, in our manner of workshop? So, but here's what I think the danger is. And this was the danger when I first came in. I, I saw the same thing in writing when I first came in. And that is, well, we teach phonemic awareness and phonological awareness, you know, the way the sounds of words are not in the way they look. Um we do that on Monday. On Tuesday, we teach phonics. And on Wednesday, we teach fluency. And on Thursday, we'll teach vocabulary. And on Friday, we'll try to put it all together. That's the beauty of five elements, right? 
And so I don't know. I have not, I am not trained in this new way that they're training the teachers for science of reading. So I just want to put that disclaimer out there. And, uh, but I can see that teaching everything in isolation, I have a problem with that. And I hope that's not what they're supporting, but from the reading I'm getting, I'm not sure that that's, I'm, I'm kind of thinking they want it systematically structured. And I think if we do systematically and structured, I think we're going to be at the risk of all these kids learning how to read in, in isolated elements and isolated skills. And to me, that is not fun. And why would you want to learn to read if that's what you're doing there? Yeah, that's my I think, box. well, and I think there's a lot of truth to that. I, so one of the things that I've realized, and this is something because this is hitting everything, right? It's hitting my district. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've talked about in our district from the, we have our people that actually work for our district and some of the people we've hired to kind of help us through this um, is one of the things they stress is not the systemization of stuff like that. They're actively trying to navigate. Okay. So what does this look like to hit all these elements and not be systematic, which I think is interesting for, um, Amy, because that's obviously kind of where she's at least leaning towards. She knows she's being forced to do these things. She knows she's having to do Mm -hmm. word study, morphology lessons, direct vocabulary and all of that. But she also has a reading workshop, uh, bent. She may be working with the actual craft books and draft books. And so she's kind of navigating that. Um, so I want to hit on that in a second, but I wanted to read this. So this is from uh, an article from Ed Week, which I thought this was interesting. So it says, why would a state want to overhaul reading instruction? This is from North Carolina. This is a year ago. So yeah, I under- think that's article I was reading. So yeah. go ahead. So it says to understand why North Carolina is pursuing such sweeping changes, it's important to know what reading instruction looks like in most classrooms across the country. Ooh, tell me. It says most <laughs> early reading teachers in the United States, North Carolina included, say that they practice what's called balanced literacy. The approach usually relies heavily on teacher choice and professional judgment. Teachers are taught to have many tools in their toolbox and use the methods that they think are most appropriate for the students in front of them. One common practice in balanced literacy is guided reading in which students coach students in a variety of comprehension strategies as they read a book matched to their level. Teachers encourage students who struggle over individual words to use pictures and context, in addition to looking at the letters to guess what the word could be. Um, But decades of psychology and neuroscience research have demonstrated that many of these strategies aren't the most effective for creating skilled readers. So it's just shown that explicit systematic instruction, how letters represent sounds, phonics is the most effective way to teach kids how to read words. Teaching students to rely on other clues like pictures takes their focus away from the letters and restricting students to books deemed at their level can actually widen achievement gaps. So that last little paragraph there is interesting because I agree with like portions of it and I disagree with other portions of it. Like I obviously agree with this idea that limiting kids to their level is going to widen achievement gaps. I think that's true. And I think that's what Fonta, we've talked about this before. I think that Fonta Simba now have spent years and years and years walking back what their hardcore focus on leveling has caused because it's a hundred percent. I would say a hundred percent, but it is massively caused by the over-focus on guided reading where you get all these leveled readers. You, that's where you get, librarians and my son has faced this too, where they go, no, that's not on your level. You can't read that. Even though you want Mm -hmm. to, you can't pick up that book. That book is bad for you. Right? So we are in agreement on that piece, right? but this idea 
and this is where I think that and we'll get to Amy's direct question here in a second, because I think all of this ties into our philosophy about this is uh, no one's arguing. I don't think I've seen in any corner that no one's arguing that explicit instruction and in how words work is bad. Right. How how to read actual words is naughty. But what's happening is people under the guise of the science of reading, which, to be clear, again, is not one science. It's multiple sciences, multiple studies that people are all forming and collecting to create their version of the science of reading. Go from company to company to company. It's going to look a little different. They're going to be charging you different things. Remember, these are corporations selling this to districts. Right. Well, yeah, because there's all different types of uh, programs, which you love programs. And uh, that's in in, uh, sarcasm. But uh, but the whole thing is, is there's a ton of programs and each one of them is saying we we have researched and we have a curriculum for you. And it involves the science of reading. So pause. I'm going to plug something that's not going to come out yet. So I just did my episode, Jennifer Cervalo for the return of teach me teacher incredible episode but i we talked the majority and this wasn't planned but for almost 30 minutes maybe 25 minutes of the 50 minute talk we talked about research and what that means in literacy and she talks about how there's over 600 citations in her book and she had a a professional researcher and we talked about the nuances of what research research means in reading and literacy and everything and how you discern what good research is from bad research and i gotta tell you it is a doozy so if anyone is wanting (laughs) to know the ins and outs of that that's coming out here um, probably at the end of August or so. So um, oh, keep your good. eyes. Yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for that little teaser for our Patreon people. But anyway, back to the point. So the number one issue is, and we talk about this all the time, even with workshop, the moment something becomes a prescriptive system, you're losing the authenticity that I think that you and I advocate for and so many professionals have advocated for in terms of creating literate people in terms of getting kids that are engaged in reading and writing in an authentic way right getting kids to have literate lives that transcend the classroom that make them want to read that make them want to understand words and play with words that make them want to put their voice on the page that make them value their voice and choice something that I think is not even really mentioned at all in the science of reading actually I've never seen anything talk about voice and I'm not seeing that at all either in in the stuff that I've looked at exactly and I think that is a really interesting facet which raises my stuff it doesn't mean i hate everything about it absolutely not there's there's no piece of me that's saying the science of reading is bad the piece that you and i pause on i think is when it's like it has to be done this exact way it has to be it has to have these incorporations and it's really a massive heavy on phonics because obviously if you learn how to read the words ochoa then you have comprehension right no. Well, I yes, yes, not really, because I can recognize. Uh, I mean, I see all kinds of stuff. I can recognize all the letters in Spanish and not have an idea iota of what I'm reading. Uh, but I, by golly, I know how it sounds because I've had a training on how the Spanish letters sound. But I. I'm just telling you, you can you can recognize and I can sound out French words and I can sound out Spanish words and I can guarantee you I can't read either one and comprehend it. So to Amy's question, with that big Mm -hmm. preamble, 
She says, was there, not a specific question, but 